is a chant that my guru wrote. Joy, 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 ever new joy, joy. 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 And what a more wonderful thing to chant all day long while driving, while walking, while any time. Just always think joy, joy, joy. This is the nature of life. And yet how many people forget that and they think gloom, 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 gloom. Or they become bitter and they think about how the world has not treated them. Or they think I don't have this which I wanted not realizing they've got everything they ever want. You've got that joy inside you, and things won't make you happy. Why not make yourself happy by realizing that that bliss is already and always within you? And so, <coughs> we must realize that this is really the secret of life. It's the nature of life. People who live in worldly consciousness, how many mistakes they make. One of the great mistakes of our age is the practice of abortion. It's not the right thing. Master, my guru in his book, Conversations with Yogananda, explained a very important truth. Let me read this section to you. It is a common belief these days that until a child is actually born, it is not yet consciously a consciously developing human being. This is fallacious. Life is everywhere. You don't produce life by making a baby. Life comes into that form. When does the soul enter the body? Someone asked the Master this question. At the moment of conception, he replied. When the sperm and ovum unite, there is a flash of light in the astral world. Souls that are ready to be reborn, if their vibration matches that of the flash of light, rush to get in. Sometimes two or more get in at the same time, and the woman has twins, triplets, or even, um, well... It is important, therefore, to come together physically with an uplifted consciousness. That flash generated in the astral world reflects the couple's state of consciousness, especially as they felt during the moment of physical union. Now, this in this world is really a very important teaching because we're not just talking facts. We're talking what is producing this race of monsters we've got today. People who think nothing of killing each other in terrorist acts, people who live only for selfishness, you're generating those people by if you come together in uh, states of consciousness that are only passion-generated, only with the desire for pleasure, only with the desire of taking for yourself. What kind of spiritual person would come into that kind of womb? Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that even a fallen person, one who is 
aspired and then has some worldly desire that brings him back. And this happens again and again until the soul becomes free. But he says that if you regret that mistake, if you regret having uh, turned away from God for a little while, then that regret will bring you to a high state of consciousness. That will be uh, in that higher state of consciousness. And when you're reborn, as a rule you'll be born, it would be good if you can be, and some people are born into the homes of yogis, but the trouble is most yogis don't have children or have very few children. And uh, yet at least they will be born into the homes of noble and high-minded people. You, if you want to populate this planet with good people, then be good in your, in your sexual desires also. It's a very important rule. Actually, I think it would be a wonderful thing. You know the rite of passage from childhood to adolescence? I hope that someday, and I believe that someday, there will come that kind of training in youngsters that will prepare them for learning what sex is, how to use it in, a, in, a, in the right way, that it should be for not just for pleasure, but to invite those who are high souls to come into your family. And they, those souls that are attracted will depend on your state of consciousness. Therefore, training is very important. Training of children as they come to adulthood, to adolescence, to learn to be self-controlled, learn to use this procreative power in a constructive way. Mind you, that, that sperm is, uh, it's got the power to create a new body. There's tremendous power in it. To waste it is, is, is really a mistake. Use it in a good way. Now, this is something that we need to do all the time because you can't just say, well, okay, now that we're coming together sexually, we're going to have high thoughts. No, it won't be like that. You'll be yourself. So it would be very good if men and women could learn to see one another not merely as objects of desire, but as partners to their own one-sided nature. You see, men are more, as my guru explained, reason-guided, feeling is hidden. And women have feeling uppermost and reason hidden. And the basic reason for the attraction between the sexes is that there is within us a desire to balance these two qualities. Now, it would be better, of course, always to develop them in ourselves, but when a man who is super reasonable marries a woman who has got a, a pure heart, is not just an emotional harrigan, or is the word harridan, it is, um, then uh, he will develop more kindness, more compassion in himself. This is something my guru mentioned in Autobiography of a Yogi. It's a very interesting little sidelight that when my, my guru's mother died, his father became noticeably softer. By thinking of her when my guru returned to India from America in 1935 and wanted to um, employ a nurse to help take care of his father who was getting very old. His father said, 
Service to me ended with your mother. He had that lifelong devotion, which you don't find very often. And uh, in that devotion, he absorbed into himself the motherly qualities of his wife. Well, this is the ideal. You will notice that when you meet saints, if you meet saints, they really are both men and women. They have the masculine strength, and they have the feminine sweetness and compassion. We need to develop this in ourselves. In a sense, you can say that the soul is incomplete. I don't know what truth there is in the uh, old legend of soulmates. I do know an interesting thing, that one time in one of my guru's commentaries, he mentioned that one must, must at least have some union with the soulmate. It, should, it must not be sexual. But it can even be a union if the, the soulmate is living on another planet. They can, they can communicate, commune in ecstasy and have that soul union. That's what it really is about. But somehow, or even it may even be, and I, he gave us that little hint, but he didn't talk about it much because he didn't want people thinking that every person they meet on a street corner is their soulmate. That is a human weakness. But And your soulmate could be in the same body. It could be your father. It, it's not a sexual thing, really. But ultimately, that, as Sri Yukteswar said in, his, in the autobiography of a yogi at the end of the resurrection of Sri Yukteswar, that beautiful chapter, he speaks about when our two half-souls will merge in union in the infinite. Was he speaking of that level? I don't know. I'm not qualified to talk about that. But it is a principle that somehow our individual consciousness blends with its balance, and that can be above all between you and God. We must balance ourselves in ourselves in order to achieve perfection. So don't think of yourself as just a woman or just a man. You're neither. Ultimately, you're the soul. And the soul isn't a man or a woman. The soul, however, may have more of a propensity toward, let us say, jnana, discrimination, or toward devotion, compassion. These two need to be brought together in a state of, of uh, union. Now, ultimately, God is our soulmate. God is the one that we should try to unite our souls with. Here's how my guru put it. Whatever else needs to be, you will find that fulfillment after you reach him. These worldly fulfillments always is a bit of human emotion which pulls you down. But once you've attained that oneness with the infinite in God, there comes a blending and any outward thing that you need to fulfill that, that uh, balance, that will be given to you. First, then, seek God. One of the most important, probably the most important advice that Jesus Christ gave his disciples was, seek the kingdom of God first, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek the kingdom of God, and all worldly things will be yours. Everything you ever wanted will become yours. You'll see that every possible desire will 
become yours if you find him. But without him, you won't get anything. It will always be, yes, but. I have this, but if only I had that too. It will always be imperfect. It will always be partial. Lord, may we serve you all our days. This should be the prayer and desire of every devotee. Now, in the world, you'll find people saying, yes, but you've got to be practical. Somebody has, well, not just one person, this has been said to me many times, because I've started these communities, and they've said, well, what do you do in a practical way to support your communities? Well, yes, we do practical things. We have businesses, and we have various things that we have to do to uh, support our uh, selves financially, but I've always said the most practical thing of all is faith in God. And I've seen that that really works. When nothing else works, if you give it to him, somehow he takes care of you. I've told you about that fire that nearly destroyed our community. It burned to the ground 450 of our acres, which at that time were about 700, 750 acres. Now we have about a thousand acres, but burned them to the ground. Destroyed 21 of the 22 homes in that part of the community. That's a major loss. We didn't have insurance. Many people thought we would just have to go bankrupt. But we just tried our best. We tried it with joy. We, because we had faith in God, we were out there, as I, as I told you the la last time I spoke about this, that the next day we were out there singing and joyfully clearing out the land so that we could re rebuild. Well, when you do things with joy, you see that somehow God does take care of you. Those people who said to me, yeah, but you've got to be practical. You notice when people talk with a nasal tone, it often has ego in it. It's got to be practical. And uh, you're wrong. You're right, but you're wrong. That's not the way to be practical, to think of everything except God. Think of God first, give everything to him, then do your best. As they, there used to be a song during the Second World War, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Well, I'm not for war, but if you've got to do anything, praise the Lord, but do your bit too, certainly. That's what Krishna was saying in the Bhagavad Gita. Do your battle, fight the good fight. Do your duty, Arjuna, and then you will find freedom. You won't find it by sitting back and saying, it'll all come to me. In fact, if you decide, and this is what he says also in the Gita, no man can achieve the actionless state by not acting, because even then his mind will be active. There will always be something going on. His energy will be keeping him moving. You achieve actionlessness by transcending action, and you transcend action by giving everything to God, so that this is the difference between the worldly person and the devotee. The worldly person thinks, oh, this, 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 is what am I going to do? The devotee says, I'll do my best. I'll do more than you do, because I put my devotion into it. But I do it for God. And whatever he wants, it's his business. You know, we have come here to India 
to serve. I've come to serve my guru. I've come here to serve his mission. I'm not interested in Kriyananda. I'm not interested in name, fame, those things. I never was interested, but at my age, I could very comfortably just enjoy what I have done in America and Italy. I've made a beautiful thing there, and we have beautiful communities. I have beautiful homes. We have many devotees coming. Why come here, braving this heat and all these things? I haven't done it for me, but I do want Indians to know. In the land of his birth, I want them to know what a great soul he was and what a great mission he had. And yes, I suppose there is some of the ego of a disciple who wants to boost his guru, but really that's not, that's not it. I know that he had a special mission. Otherwise, why add one more of the same thing to the same heap of dung or coals or pearls or whatever you want to call it? But he did have something special. He wanted to teach people how to take this inner kriya, this inner centeredness of consciousness in God, and how to bring it outward into service to God in the world, serving God in others, working to make it practical in a worldly way, but always remembering that the most important and practical thing of all is doing it in God's name, for God, with love for God, and above all, in the joy of God. You will see that if you can have that consciousness in what you do, everything goes well, even if things seem to be going all apart. God will be there, and he will pull you through. So, Lord, may we serve you all our days. That is the path to joy. Joy to you. Lord, may we serve you all our days. Ever rejoice to sing your praise. As we together your wisdom seek, charge us with truth whenever we speak. Lord, may we ever know your to us when our thoughts are still as we your guidance with joy receive may we as one your bliss achieve as we your guidance with joy receive may we as one your